This is episode number 10 of the Polyglot Developer Podcast, and I'm your host, Nick Raboy. Welcome back to the show. As a mobile and web application developer, I always find myself trying to figure out where I should host my backends or my web applications. Uh, Do I choose to use Amazon S3? Do I choose to use a VPS, a VM? What solutions are out there that would be best suited for the jobs that I need? In this episode, I'm joined by Terry Ryan, who's a developer advocate at Google. Uh, In this particular episode, we're going to talk about the Google App Engine. We're going to address some common questions and then figure out where does it make sense to use Google App Engine in a project. With that said, enjoy the show. Hey everyone, with me today I have Terry Ryan from Google and our plan today is to talk about the Google App Engine. So what it's all about, how do you get started with it, uh, where, where it's valuable for developers, things like that. But before we do, I want to give uh, Terry a chance to introduce himself. All right. My name is Terry Ryan. Uh, as Nick said, I'm a developer evangelist. Uh, sorry, I'm a developer advocate uh, for Google Cloud Platform, um, and I, I focus on what we call um, kind of computing and operations, like basically low-level components for building up your own infrastructure and uh, solutions at uh, on Google Cloud Platform. So, what what kind of developer to- technologies do you focus on in particular, or do you do all of them? Uh no, I I mean it's so it's so huge that that would be impossible. I I focus on our computing tools like uh kind of understanding and being able to talk about the difference between app engine, uh compute engine, uh container engine, um all of those pieces and uh I talk very much with the PHP community. Um uh, but it's sort of set like basically there's like uh product uh, specialization there's language specialization and then then it's sort of uh other specialization that's sort of how I'm broken up um so I talk about those technologies and oftentimes I'll talk about more than those technologies to the PHP community um and uh and yeah so in addition to that uh I'm also an author I wrote a book called Driving Technical Change with uh, Pragmatic Bookshelf um and so that between Google and the book, I've spent a fair amount of my time on the road talking to people about various uh, developer scenarios. If people wanted to check out your book, how did they find it? So my book is available on pragprog.com. Uh, it's probably the easiest way. You can order it on Amazon too, but if you want the electronic version, you have to go through pragprog.com. Um, yeah. So at the end of this podcast, uh, if people feel like uh, you offer some very useful information, they want to follow you, what's the best way that they can follow you? Are you uh, mostly on Google Plus, Twitter? What's huh. your best bet? Uh, Twitter is probably the best uh, bet for me. Um, and my Twitter handle is T-P-R-Y-A-N-T-Pryan. Um, and uh, I tweet various uh, either technical or it's mostly technical and or traveling anecdotes uh, at this point. Um, so mostly me complaining about various airports and occasionally spreading good technical knowledge. Yeah, you actually, so I actually uh, became introduced to you through uh, Twitter in the same fashion. So I've actually started learning about Golang um, and trying to adopt it as part of one of my development stacks. And uh, you actually helped me a lot when it came to deployment, um, which is good because I think that's a valuable, a valuable piece of information, especially with the App Engine. 
Yeah. Um, so that kind of leads like, us in, into uh, what what is Google App Engine? Can you describe that for us? Sure. So App Engine is what we call a platform as a service, meaning you don't have, as opposed to infrastructure as a service where you're getting VMs and you're provisioning machines and setting up uh, you know, at a very low level what your system is going to look like. With a platform as a service, you don't do any of that. You give us code uh, and we run that code and we will scale it out uh, as wide or as narrow as you need. Um, and the idea is uh, instead of, you know, for a lot of web apps from a server side, you don't really need tremendously different things. So let's abstract that away and we'll just, you will run your code for you and we will, uh, we will, you know, we'll handle scaling it out. Now it, you do need to make some changes to your code in order to, to live that way. Um, so for example, app engine, because it will scale itself, the idea, you don't write to a, the file system on the local machine. It was a really good example of this. So, you know, for example, if a request comes in and it writes something to a file machine, another request for the same user could be handled by another instance and it wouldn't have that written to the file system. So you need to do things like write to central files, uh, write to a central file store. So they're not, it's not crazy changes um, to your code, but it's changes that make sense in, a, in an environment where the individual machine you might be running on um, doesn't, uh, you know, might not exist or might not be accessible a few seconds later by the same user. So a lot of the same, uh, if you're kind of playing around with containers, a lot of the same ideas towards how to treat the system are, are kind of compatible between App Engine and containers. So let, let me get this straight. So you, when you're saying uh, store stuff on a separate machine, are you saying like uh, Google's uh, cloud, like uh, I think you can use Google Drive to store files, right? Kind of like Amazon's oh, S3? You, uh, you, you, yeah, it would be Google Cloud Storage. Um, Google Drive is the sort of consumer um, consumer sh- uh, uh, sharing uh, service, whereas Google Cloud Storage is our um, part of Google Cloud Platform kind of, uh, technology or or, uh, or developer tool for the for that task. So uh, you you mentioned this a little already, um, and I must say, for the longest time, I thought uh, App Engine and Compute Engine were the same thing. Um, so you mentioned that uh, with with App Engine, you're just deploying your code and and you're letting uh, the Google servers take care of everything. Is there a scenario where uh, maybe you wouldn't want to use App Engine and you might want to use Compute Engine instead? Oh, absolutely. Um, so App Engine works with uh, there's two flavors of App Engine. So there's standard and there's uh, Flex. Standard runs PHP, Go, Java, and Python, and that's it. So if you want to use standard and you want to use a language other than those, uh, other than those, you're you kind of you can't, uh, and so you'd have to go with some other solution, um, either flexible runtime or compute engine. Flexible runtime uh, works on containers, and so while we have wrote we have set images for a number of technologies, including the ones I mentioned, but also Ruby, Node, um, I th- I th- one or two that I might be missing. Um, and you can go deeper and you can write your own custom ones. Um, but there are, there are some times where you just need a, a, a VM. Um, if you're replacing a legacy system that's built on one system and the idea of splitting it up into containers or to uh, pull the code out and have the code be separate from the system might not make sense. So it might totally make sense um, to come over to a VM. There's a lot of, it, you know, again, App Engine is a tool and it's going to make sense in certain cases and it's not going to make sense in other cases. So I think when you get more 
to the I want a lot of control over the system for whatever reason. Uh, maybe it's you need to tweak the memory setup so that it runs perfectly with your code. Maybe you're running low-level uh, C code that you need to run in a very specific way. Whatever the case may be, there are a lot of there are a lot of occasions where you know App Engine is just not going to be the right solution to you. Um, and so Compute Engine would fill that gap. Being uh, Compute Engine, I haven't really given a definition. Is our uh, VM, so it is our infrastructure as a service technology. Um, and so it's basically you fire up a VM and you get a VM and you have full control over it. So um, I want to dig deeper into this. This uh, You're calling it the flex model for App Engine? Yep. Flexible yeah. runtime, yes. Flexible runtime. So are you familiar at all with uh, GitLab's uh, continuous integration uh, tool or its runner? Uh, I mean, I've heard of it. Uh, if you want deep commentary on it, I'm not no, going to no, have no. So, uh, So what, it, what they claim is um, you can go ahead and give it a kind of uh, continuous integration type script, and it'll spin up a container, do all of its magic, and then and then shut down uh, when it's done. So, is this kind of what the the flexible runtime does, where you you give it a script on how to configure this 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 machine, and it spins it up for you and runs your code? Um, sort of. Uh, the way it, way it works is you create a Docker file. Um, so first off, if you are using one of our our runtimes where um, where we already have images for it. You actually don't ever have to inter- interact with the container system at all. If you're new to it, you, you don't do that. Um, you basically just put your code up and you treat it exactly like App Engine standard. If, however, you want um, some extra things in your Docker container and you're, you're comfortable with it, then what you would do is you would write your own Docker file. And you can have App Engine kind of write the development tool, write an initial one for you that you can then branch off of. Um, which is a way a lot of people do it. But what will happen is, is you push up your container image, and then um, in contrast to the way standard runs, flexible runtime is always going to have one image running at all times. Um, but it basically, it'll be there ready to answer requests uh, for whatever you need. Uh, does that... that yeah. Kind of, yeah. That's all the difference there? Yeah, that does, that does make a difference. Thanks for that explanation. Uh, so... Would you? Was it safe to say that App Engine aims to solve uh, to make it easier for developers, less so much for system admins? Is that the point of App Engine? I definitely think so. I mean, which is not to say that under an App Engine system you wouldn't need uh, system admins, um, but yeah, no, it's meant for you've got a develop, you've got a strong development shop, and you don't have a strong system shop, but you need you need um, you you need uh, hosting. Um, so App Engine definitely is more geared towards the developer side of the DevOps story than the system side. Sure. So there's other, from, from what you've explained about App Engine, it sounds like there's other technologies out there. So say there's Amazon's Lambda or mm-hmm. even Heroku. What, uh, where does App Engine shine? Like what, what can it do that really sets it apart from these other platforms? So for me, what sets it apart is scale. Um, it's uh, App Engine's ability to deal with scale is sort of unreal. And I say that knowing that I work for Google, and so it sounds sort of like I'm being markety, but it really, it, like the amount of things that I've done with App Engine, um, and I'll, I'll go through a story of one of, the, one of my favorite things I've done with App Engine, was I was writing a demo for App Engine that showed off how quickly it scaled. And so it visualized all of the instances that are spinning up because, um, you know, what happens is, is let's say you get, um, you know, 
one request an hour, right? That's very low. And it's going to spin up an instance whenever it gets that request. And it can spin it up from nothing relatively quickly. Um, and so it'll spin up that instance. And um, this visualizer, basically what it does is it tracks all the instances it spins up. So I made, I made an error in, in, um, in writing this demo. And I accidentally created a positive feedback loop that every request that came into App Engine fired off another request to App Engine. Because uh, I had one of my URLs typed wrong, and so I ended up sending 30 million requests at App Engine on my account in an hour. And to put that into, pers- to, and to put that in perspective, that is the amount of traffic Wikipedia gets in an hour. Wow! So I sent a Wikipedia's worth of traffic at App Engine, and I didn't notice it myself until all of a sudden I started getting these flame out errors that like I was over quota. Sure. And I was like, how how could it be over quota, right? I'm just sending like 10,000 requests at a time. And then I started going through and looking at it and realized like, oh no, I ate up my entire quota because I sent 30 million messages in an hour at App Engine. Uh, and so I kept expecting like to get, you know, it was like I was relatively new at Google and I was expecting like somebody to like, uh, you know, tap me on the shoulder like, hey, hey, what are you doing? Nobody ever asked. Nobody ever, like nobody noticed because like that's just a blip in the amount of traffic that we handle on App Engine a day. Yeah, absolutely. And so we can go from that high, 30 million requests in an hour, uh, down to zero. So when your website isn't being, when your web app isn't being, uh, doesn't have any load, the, the, the number of instances drops to zero and your cost goes to zero. So it's really great in sort of this uncertain, you know, like, is this going to be successful? Is it not going to be successful? You know, basically, your your charge is going to be directly uh, related to the success that you're you're experiencing. So, um, to me, that that is a special sauce of App Engine. So, I have a few questions regarding what you just said. So, are you are you saying that every request uh, spins up a new instance? Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. Every request that comes out of nowhere is going to so so like let's say your machine is your 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 app has not been hit in an hour the it will spin up a new request but if once you spin up that instance that instance is going to live for a little while depending on whether or not it's being used if it's being used it's not going to spin up a new instance right it's just going to use that new instance until the instance is um not overloaded, but it, it, the, 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 the utilization of it reaches a certain threshold, then it's going to spin up another instance. How so is that just, threshold defined? Um, you, uh, there's, a, there's a set one. Um, it's some percentage of the processor with a couple other special things that we have in there, and you can tweak that. Um, but then you lose the automatic, uh, you don't lose the, the full automatic scaling, but basically, once you start fiddling around with those do- dials and knobs, we, we take less and less responsibility for scaling. Does that sure. make sense? Yes, that makes sense. Uh, but basically, so uh, if you have a relatively simple, like, you know, like I've been fooling around with a couple of PHP demos, uh, they can typically take uh, 100 requests a second before it says, oh, hey, you know what? Like, I need a new, a new node. Um, if you have something very heavy, like a, like a Java app, that the individual memory footprint of, of one instance is going to be high because it's sort of the, the way Java works, um, then you're going to have a lower threshold on when it goes up. Um, so, so it's language dependent as well then? It's resource dependent. 
Um, and certain languages are heavier than others. Sure. So when you have zero nodes actively, or are we calling them nodes or instances? We'll call them instances. All right. That's so if you have zero instances uh, running and then you get a request, is there a delay in that first request to spin up the, to spin up the instance? Well, yeah, I mean, there's the speed of light, right? So it's got to it's got to know that the request has come in. Yeah, there there is depending. Sorry, uh, that was a bad joke. Um, depending on the uh, size of the app, there's going to be a slight delay. Um, what does that equate to? Um, on PHP, that uh, PHP or Go, I have and those are the two languages I spend the most time uh, sure. dealing with. Um, the delay is like. So the request would normally take 16 milliseconds to answer, and it now takes 32 milliseconds to answer. It really is that very small. Uh, that small. If it's something like Java, which um, the app might have more spin-up time, um, then it's going to be longer. It's going to be dependent on the app's spin-up time. There are ways that you can counteract that, or always have like a hot one running. There are various tech, uh, various like tweaks you can do to your settings to kind of counteract that, but. Um, I would say PHP and Go, it's really, really fast. And I would guess Python being somewhat similar to, uh, in terms of the way the system is architected, somewhat more similar to PHP, is probably pretty fast too. Um, Java would be the only one that I would think probably has a little bit of a spin-up time um, because of uh, because Java, you know, it, it tends to be a monolithic app that's running, spinning up everything in memory all at once. Yeah, it's quite slow when I spin those up on my local machine as well. Yeah, it's just the nature of it. Yep, yep. And again, not a shot of Java. Just saying, like that's the no, way of course not. No. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so since Google has like every single API and service you can ever think up, uh, are there incentives um, when it comes to App Engine? Do you get discounts when it comes to uh, using other services? Do you get a, do you get more API requests available? Anything that's like a, that? That's a really good question. Um, I, and I, and I, in researching sort of pricing and whatnot, I don't think you do. Um, I think there are things you can do to lower your costs using our, um, using our other APIs. You know, for example, Memcache is built directly into App Engine. Yeah. So you know, what I would do with any of those services that you call is uh, cache the request, and that'll drive down your usage. But there are no incentives. Um, the way at the way we reduce costs and the way we incentivize Google Cloud Platform usage in general is sort of all intra uh, Google Cloud Platform. So um, you do get you do get um, some discounts, but we only we only provide them on on our stuff, um, and the the rest of the APIs kind of deal with it differently. Um, that's all being sort of tied together, and if you're a big if you're a large organization, let's say you're you're a mapping company, right? And so you need to heavily use uh, our Maps API, and you heavily use Google Cloud Platform to the, the point where you have like a a salesperson come in and talk to you. I am sure there's a way you can you can you can get like some sort of discount on all of that, but not at a I'm a consumer just using it one shot at a time. But you know when. Large amounts of money are on the are on the table. You can always make some sort of deal to make things uh, make more sense and be more equitable to everybody involved. Yeah, absolutely. No, the reason why I asked is because I'm I'm wondering would it be more beneficial to developers to spin up uh, something on App Engine and then use uh, the Google Cloud Storage platform 
or some other service, or would it be more beneficial to spin up, say, App Engine and use a third party? Um, it definitely makes um, a lot of difference in some cases to, to people, especially people who uh, maybe are hobbyists or similar. So in certain cases that, that will, like you mentioned Google Cloud Storage, which is part of Google Cloud Platform. So if you're writing and reading to Google Cloud uh, Storage uh, and you're using Google Cloud Platform, uh, either Compute Engine or App Engine or Container Engine, you're not going to get ingress charges, right? So uh, if you're using AWS, in, addi- in addition to getting the charge for um, just using the file storage, you're going to get a data in and out charge on uh, depending on how it works on, on AWS. That, that makes so, sense. So yeah, so that's one thing to watch out for. Um, but we try to be... we. So we are not um, naive to the fact that like there are other cloud providers that have great solutions for and that make different sense for different um, for different scenarios. So we try as hard as we can to be um, willing to work in what we call a hybrid cloud solution, where you're using some of us, using some of AWS, some of on-prem, uh, some of Azure. Um, you can mix and match. We try to be we try to be as um, as convenient to use in that sort of scenario as possible. Um, but again, that extends to Google Cloud Platform storage being one of those things that's involved involved with that, uh, but doesn't necessarily go to the rest of our APIs. No, that makes absolute sense. I, I, didn't, I didn't think about the scenario where you're now worrying about uh, outbound uh, yep. or inbound charges. So how familiar are you with the, the pricing model? Can I ask you some questions on that? You can ask me, and I will certainly uh, try to answer them. I'll, I'll sure. give the caveat that I am not a salesperson, so I try to be. I try to, you know, my my position is to talk to developers, and when you start knowing numbers like you know, sales numbers down to like the, you know, you can retrieve them in a millisecond, people stop trusting you, and so I try very hard to like. I, I know the big important numbers, and I can probably answer your questions, but yeah, ab- um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I'm actually a developer advocate myself over at Couchbase, and and I yep, feel the yep. same way. I'm I'm all about talking to developers, not uh, not selling stuff. But I do have some questions regarding the pricing model, and sure. Uh, I'm sure other other developers have that same question because it it's a lot of jargon. Um, when, yes. When you when you look at these pricing models, um, what's considered an instance hour? Uh, so an instance hour is the length of time one instance of App Engine runs. So in that scenario I said before where you get like 10 requests an hour, not that that's a realistic request load, but let's just say. So you get 10 requests an hour. And so your, your uh, instance is, is uh, running constantly, but there's only one instance. So if you have one instance running for 24 hours a day, that would be 24 uh, instance hours. If instead you have a very variable load and let's say you don't have – you have large amounts of time with no load – but you have one hour where you spin up uh, 24 uh, instances. Well, that would also be 24 instance hours, and you would still be under the free quota. Um, so that does that make sense of that what does. an instance hour is? Okay. That does. So I probably should have asked this earlier on, uh, but can you actually set a uh, your own threshold and say, hey, I don't want more than five instances to ever be spun up because I don't want to be charged insane amounts um, from some kind of spike because some famous actor tweeted me. Is yeah, there is. So, yeah, you absolutely can do that. There's a couple uh, 
couple uh, strategies, I think, for doing that. One would be exactly what you said, which is like, I never want more than five instances running. The downside of that is that um, you basically turn off automatic scaling and you have a lot more fine-grained control over how you scale, um, but it's on you and not on us. What I would say is a better strategy is to make sure your quotas are set to where you're comfortable. And so instead of saying, I only want to run this many processors or this many boxes, instances, say, I only want to spend $50 a day or $25 a day. And if I go over that, there's a problem. Because at a certain level, you want, if a famous actor does tweet you out, you want to take advantage of that. Depending on what you're doing, you want to take advantage of that. So instead, let the quota handle it, um, and then don't worry, don't worry about the the scaling. Uh, but both strategies work, and you can do both things, and there are reasons for doing both ways. But um, I would I would go the quota way instead. And say you say you do set up this fifty dollar daily quota. Um, what happens when that is exceeded? Does your application no longer work? Is it slow? Um, do you get no, a bunch it of errors? Will We'll get an error message, and the error message is very specifically app over quota. I want to say I don't know if it's a 500 error or it's another 500x error, but it's definitely an error, and it's very it's like very explicit app over quota. Sure. So 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 pretty similar to what you'd find in any kind of web server. Then. Yep. Um, so when it comes to reads and writes, because I know that's part of a part of the pricing model, I saw it listed on the website um, as as billable. Um, would you say it makes more sense to batch requests wherever possible to, to reduce, uh, the amount of read and writes that you do or, well, it, it depends on what you're reading and writing to. If you're reading and writing to data store, then, uh, it batching doesn't really buy you a lot because the, the billing and like the, the free quota, the free quota is on a couple of things is on how much data you're storing, but then it's on entity reads and entity writes and entity deletes. So entities are one record that you have stored. So if you do a batch request and pull down 20,000 records, it's the same as you pull down 20,000 individual entities, right? So it's not going to help you out that much. Um, What I would say is you're really looking to reduce your costs. Um, There is memcache uh, built in as part of that, and that um, I believe there are certain drivers, there's certain certain uh apis that you can set up for data store i don't use data store a lot so i'm sort of shooting in the dark here but i from what i understand data store has a api uh set up on app engine where you can sort of say like set up a caching uh strategy so that you can reduce your reads and writes um but again you're giving up some of your control because you're not controlling caching um and it may not be optimal for you but I, i think there are ways you can reduce the cost that way but our free reads and writes are um, – you get a gig of storage a day and then you can read 50,000 times a day and uh, you can write, 20, write or delete 20,000 times. And then if you go over that, then there's a cost per 100,000 entities um, that you read and write and delete. Um, that being said, you know, again, caching is probably the way to get around that problem. Um, and that and that's sort of like that's the incentive there, right? Like you shouldn't be reading that much from a data store if the data is all like you you should be caching, and that's sort of what we're trying to encourage you to do. Got it. Uh, so and then that was data store. That was data store for cloud SQL. 
Um, I mean, it's like any other SQL server, you're probably going to get a better performance from batching your requests anyway, um, let alone pricing. Uh, but I think that's all on, um, that's all on, uh, records as well. So yeah, you're, you shouldn't use batching as a, as a, as a cost, uh, strategy. You should definitely use batching as a performance strategy, but I would never use it as a cost strategy. Got it. That makes that makes perfect sense. Uh, so, are you familiar with Cloudflare at all? Uh, I am familiar with a little bit of it. I know I know it, D, uh, DDoS protection and those yeah. sorts of things. So that brings me to my question: Does the App Engine uh, offer any kind of protection uh, from being attacked? So the answer is uh, yes, but not certainly as sophisticated as Cloud Cloudflare's, Cloudflare's offering. Um, so one. Uh, we have the quota system that we we talked about before that's in place that sort of stops a just catastrophic like um uh, uh you know a billing overage so that'd be the first the first line of defense the second line of defense is once you identify uh a actor that is causing a DDoS problem we you can you can um fill out a blacklist uh, as part of your configuration for your app engine site. So basically, you know these IP addresses or these IP ranges are causing you trouble. Refuse requests from them, and then uh, they are, they're no longer handled by app engine. So the process of, of rejecting them doesn't go under your bill at all, right? It's all, it's all off of you. Yes. Um, and so that, that would be the two things we have um, to sort of protect against uh, DDoS. I think there are other things that, we can do, uh, especially for some of our bigger customers. Um, but I think they're very much, uh, on a, um, you know, uh, they work it out amongst themselves. So I'm actually fortunate enough to never have been DDoS before. Mm-hmm. Um, but from what I understand, uh, those kind of attacks use, uh, zombie machines where, where you can have any number of random IPs attacking you. Yep. Um, wouldn't this be a major inconvenience to look through the logs to find just random IPs that are attacking you? Absolutely. Uh, I, like I said, I don't think our solution is sophisticated as Cloudflare's. Sure. Um, um, so, so let's say, for example, um, I'm a user who have, has decided to not use Cloudflare, mm-hmm. even though it sounds like I probably should or some kind of similar solution. Um, am I guaranteed to be, to be billed for that attack? Um, I don't have a good answer for that. Uh, I, I feel my guess is, um, you talk to support and you work it out. Sure. Um, and the reason why I think that is because like every time, like every time that's question has come up, like I just get sort of a hand wavy. Yeah. Um, and so it seems to me like my, my guess is we don't want to say we'll definitely protect you. Yeah. Um, but I think that we are also cognizant of the fact that like it sucks and we've got, you know. Yeah, we've got more uh, resources to handle it than our than our customers do. Yeah. So so I we certainly don't promise that, and we don't uh, we sure. don't publicly say that anywhere. But uh, my guess is, if you talk to support, you will work something out. Yeah, because I could imagine scenarios where, like, I guess you have the Sony scenario uh, from a few years back, where they just got hammered daily from DDoS attacks, and I can imagine that becoming very expensive, even if you have daily thresholds. So it's it's just something to think about, I guess. Yeah, no, I think it. So I, I think part of it comes from uh, this Google's internal culture. Like I've asked before, like, 
Well, what happens if somebody actually DDoSs uh, App Engine? <coughs> Excuse me. What happens if someone DDoSs App Engine? Like they could take it down. And the look I got from like the engineer that I asked that to, like it was like they didn't even understand that concept. <laughs> like they they were like, "What do you mean? They, no, they they can't do that." Like no, someone could like you know, DDoS. Like no, they right. they, they just can't. And I, I think it's just that like a full on DDoS is not something that you know. Again, knock on wood, right? Because it's, it's never happened. Yeah. But I think we've certainly had to deal with it um, between the customers that we've had. Uh, on uh, App Engine, Snapchat being one of them, I can de- certainly see them drawing that sort of fire. Not that I, again, not that I know of any particular incident, um, but I can see them drawing that sort of a, attack, uh, and it's never come up. So my my guess is that um, again, we we sort of we don't explicitly say um, we'll we'll protect you, but. We sure. also are open to, to helping people out when it happens. Yeah, that's that's great to hear. Uh, so I just have another, just a final question to kind of sure. wrap this up. Um, as far as using App Engine as for hosting your, your web application, um, I assume that you can purchase a domain name and hook it up to App Engine. Is this correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, basically what you do, uh, it's really easy if you use Google Domains, which is not part of Google Cloud Platform. Sure. Um, but we have integration between the two, and that becomes really easy. But even if you're not, it's not that it's not that difficult. Um, you, uh, I think, if you're not using us, if you're not using Google Domains, you have to either do a DNS header, or um, or load a or load a meta header into the HTML of your site that says the you know basically proving that you own it. Yeah. Um, and then we'll point to you. Um, and that uh, that just basically takes care of that. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. So is there any kind of words of wisdom that you want to give uh, my listeners here on uh, App Engine or best use practice or any, anything that you get a lot uh, when you're out in the field that would be beneficial? So um, like any technology, App Engine has, uh, has its uses and it's not uses. Uh, and if you, if you misuse it, um, you're going to be less than satisfied with it. And, and, and I don't mean that from like... Basically, if you're using it to solve the wrong problem, like it's not going to be that great. And so, um, it's not really for like I just want to throw up a website. Um, there are tons of solutions for th- throwing up a website. It's for throwing up apps. It's for putting up putting up web apps out there, um, either either a full on web app or the web uh, resident API of a mobile app. Right. It's not for um, batch editing video. It's not for serving up. Uh, there are so many ways you can misuse it. It's not for general computing. It's for building web applications. It's for building web applications where you're not sure of the, the, uh, the usage you're going to get of it. Um, it, and it was created from a lot of wisdom we gained around our property search and Gmail and, drive and all of these other web apps that we have we've learned like this is a this is a really helpful way of doing it for us um but uh again it's not going to be you know if you have very custom bespoke code or you're doing very custom things it's not going to necessarily work for you it's for uh generically written applications in particular languages where you can uh take advantage of massive amounts of scale both up and down um and uh and we'd love to have you try it out, but we also make you know want to tell you that 
you know, if uh, if a VM is something you're more comfortable with, obviously App Engine is not going to be the right solution for you. We we have a whole set of VMs that we'd be happy to talk to you about, but uh, make sure that you know make sure that App Engine is actually the right solution for you. And the only way you're going to do that is by trying it out. The good news is that Google Cloud Platform has a two month three hundred dollar free trial. So uh, if you do want to play with it, you do want to ex- experiment with it, you can. Totally sign up for the trial, try your code out on it, and for the first two months, you're not going to get any charges. And then at two months, we don't uh, immediately start charging you. We will like you'll get a big message that says, "Hey, you're running out of your free trial. Um, if we if you want to continue, you got to tell us it's okay to charge your credit card." So we're, that's a step I think we're pretty proud of. Going along with that, going along with our quotas, going along with our pricing. Um, we've, we really don't want you uh, customers to feel like they have been somehow shanghaied into paying for us We'll make it very clear what they're paying for and how. And so, um, the, with our pricing calculator, with our discounts, with our free trial, we try to make very sure that we, we don't want your money unless you really want to give it to us. So that, that sounds great. I wish, I wish more companies did it that way after their trial ends. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's something that's you know on the flip side that we had to have customers that have been annoyed with us because their sites went down because their free trial ended. Uh, we're like, you know, the alternative is we automatically charge you, and there are a lot more people that would be ticked off at that than that are ticked off that their you know their free trial ended and they they their site shut down for a little bit. Yeah, so. absolutely. So I appreciate uh, you taking the time out of your day to join me on this podcast. I'm sure my listeners will. Uh, be very benefited from the information that you provided. No, thank you. This is a very hot topic um, as far as building web applications. Well, thanks a lot. I really appreciate having me on and uh, yeah, uh, hope, uh, hope I was helpful. Yeah, definitely. So now you have some of the important details when it comes to Google's app engine product. If you're like me, you probably had a lot of doubts or there were a lot of loose ends when it came to say things like the pricing model or how things exactly worked. With Google App Engine. A lot of it, um, I know, especially with Amazon's products and then some Google products as well, there's a lot of jargon thrown around that doesn't necessarily make it very easy to understand. If this episode raised some questions and you'd like to ask something either from myself or from Terry, go ahead and go to the polyglotdeveloper.com slash podcast hyphen questions. If you're listening to this podcast from an outlet uh, or network that allows for reviews, maybe from iTunes or similar. It'd mean a lot to me if you went in and left it a five-star rating, as well as some kind of review that said something nice about the podcast itself. And that concludes episode number 10.